Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Before I go to Edward in Los Angeles, California. Edward, how can I help you today? Hey, good. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I have a uh, finished garage in the back of my house. Um, it has electricity. Um, uh, does not have AC or heat or nothing. None of that. It's still just kind of rough, rough. Uh, you know, it's finished drywall and everything, but it's 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 livable. However, I do want to in the future add on a bathroom and a mini kitchen. So I've gotten a couple quotes from some people, and um, some people are saying uh, these are sewer professionals actually. So they're saying they have to connect to the sewer line to the street. Um, they have to rip up the driveway. You know, it's about. Uh, 80 feet from the driveway to the street, I mean, from the, the garage to the streets, right? So they have to, you know, dig a trench, essentially. Um, that's one way, that's the proper way of doing it, they're saying. And the second, uh, second third guys, I, I hired plumbers, licensed plumbers. They're telling me you can do a sump pump, do a sump pump from the house, uh, which is only like 10 feet away, uh, connected to the drain. Uh, the problem is the pitch. Um, apparently, the, the, the height of the house drain is higher than the, the, the garage, the finished garage, uh, garage. So that's the, right. that's the issue. So you yeah. can't get the fall, so, and that's the reason to look. That the the idea of using the sump pump, mm-hmm. it works great. I added a bathroom to my house uh, when I bought it 20 years ago, and I ran mm-hmm. with a pump like that for 10 years before I added an aerobic system and went ahead and ran a new line out and took that sump pump okay. out. But in that 10-year period of time, not once did I have an issue with that sump oh. pump. The, the, the whole trick is to make sure you buy a good pump. And what you're right. looking for is a regular trash sewer-type pump that, so that any solids that go in there and the, the waste paper and everything gets ground up, uh-huh. and then it pumps it through. And, you know, for what you're describing, I would have zero issue doing it that way. I see. So, so a trash sewer type of sump pump. Yep. Sump pump. Okay. And you're going to find that's, that's going to be way less expensive than running out to install a new tap out at the city line. Yeah, that's what I was that was, I was thinking. I, I didn't, didn't think it, it made. I mean, I, I know there's some countries, you know, that have uh, sump pumps uh, built in because, you know, they, are, they don't have the, I don't know, the, the I don't know. I just, it's just more convenient, you know. I, that's yeah. what I've been told by contractors and and they said, yeah, they make a truck, they make a sump pump. We can just uh, connect it to under the house, and you know, they dig up like 80 feet of driveway to go to the street. But the yep. only issue I have is this, is this is because the city, you know, I mean, I don't know the permit things. Um, I'm sure they'll allow it if we did it the right way. You know, I mean, I mean, with the permits. But I mean, um, you know, well, you uh, will, yeah, you know, you'll definitely have to clear it with the city. But uh, I mean, they're yeah. used all the time yeah. for places, uh, and and quite frankly, okay. cities use it as yeah. well because, you know, th- not everything can always flow down to a pump station or to a, a uh, uh, sewer station. So a lot of times, what they do is it'll everybody's yeah. house flows down to the end of the street. There's a pump at the end of the street yeah. and that pumps it to the next station. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. All right, that sounds good. That sounds great then. And then one more, one more question that you don't mind sure. me asking too. So now the the lines, electrical lines. So this is an older house, a hundred year old house. 
they didn't they didn't put the electrical lines on on the underground. They put them on top. Right. So it, it gets it it clears the city because it's a minimum fifteen feet apparently. Um, so it's still you know within reason. But you know I don't know. Is this something that I need to do too as well? The electrical lines on the ground with uh, maybe with uh, some pump line maybe at the same time with a different trench or. Well, normally you're going to put those in separate trenches uh, because okay. it's usually not good to mix uh, electric and water lines. But right, um, <laughs> right, right, right. For some what reason, they don't like, like each other. I don't know. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different what cities meant, actually will. Like we, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, different cities will have different requirements on that. Uh, mm-hmm. The issue you may run into though is once you start moving the electrical and setting stuff up. Uh, more modern that way, they may make you bring mm-hmm. everything to current code. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah. You know, but luckily this is not a. This is just a home. We're not planning on renting it out to like you know Airbnb and you know. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. It's going to be strictly just you know family use. It's not going to be you know public. Yeah. You know. So I, I think I'm like I'm going to keep myself safe and just kind of keep it that way. Yep. You know, just kind of, yeah. So, but everything works fine, but that's, uh, it's great. All right, great. Thank you for the answers. Appreciate it. You bet. Had a quick one come in from Jersey Village and Kathleen. She says, we're having our house painted, and there's a large amount of siding that has rotted. The painter will be replacing the rotten siding. However, he wants to put Tyvek down over the original black tar paper. Uh, should that paper be removed completely before the Tyvek is applied, or is it safe to apply on top of the tar paper? Well, the tar paper predates the Tyvek. They've been using tar paper forever and a day, but there's not a reason to have both layers on there. And now it, it really is going to depend on how much of the siding they're taking off. If they're taking off enough that they can remove the tar paper, I would recommend putting the Tyvek on instead of the tar paper. But if they're only doing little spots here and there, just leave the tar paper if it's intact and you'll be just fine. Kathy in Fort Worth, how can I help you? Hi. Um, I've been researching replacing the old carpet with either wool carpet or one of the higher end um, man-made products. Uh-huh. And what are the pros and cons of using wool over the other? Deterioration. The wool over time will tend to deteriorate a little bit, uh, but it's a great carpet, looks wonderful, and uh, actually it's good to take care of. So uh, I don't have any issues with the wool carpet. I personally typically use like Stain Master or something along those lines. Well, is, is that an olefin or... Is that a man-made product? That, that's a ma- that would be a man-made product. And which is the best quality of that? Stainmaster is, is a brand. Okay. But, I mean, are there different qualities in the olefin? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, the denser the carpet, they consider it higher quality. And so that's what you have to look at is the weight of the, the carpet, um, and, you know, how thick the nap is on it. Right, right. Well, I figure this will be one of the last times I replace the carpet. <laughs> and I thought the wool would be superior to the olefin, but that's not necessarily true. <laughs> that's, that's really not necessarily true anymore. Um, 
and as as far as the being able to take care of stains and on it and stuff like that, that's where the the stain master. Uh, that's the reason I like it because it's really easy to take care of. Okay, and then the the vinyl, the luxury vinyl plank flooring versus one of the laminates. How do you decide between those? Strictly by looks. I've had both. Um, I, I will tell you, I, I've had better luck with the uh, the man, you know, the uh, the flexible plank has been good, but I've had better luck with the other. As far as looking like wood or Ho- holding or, up. Oh, okay. That's the the so uh, and it? I put understand. I put these things in construction offices, and. Uh-huh. Uh, so I mean, they they get the heck beat out of them with people coming in with muddy boots and and different things like that. And what I have found with the vinyl plank, it looks great, holds up very well, but we do wear through the surface of it. Where the um, the engineered planks and stuff, uh, the surface tends to hold up a little better. Okay, so it's it's called engineered. Yeah, engineered laminate wood, engineered wood, engineered, engineered laminate. Uh, AquaGuard is is a brand that the floor and decor carries. Uh, there, there's several of them that that they carry, and and they do a really good job. So you want AquaGuard, which makes it less vulnerable to water. Correct. Right. It holds. You can get it wet and and not have to worry about the the floor going bad on you. Okay. Okay. And as far well, as on carpets. Uh, take a look uh-huh. at Mohawk. So Mohawk Stain Master, or yep, yeah, the Mohawk Stain Master carpet that it is is one of the best out there. Okay, okay, doke. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. You take care, uh, Jerry in Dallas. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I have some pet odors on my wooden floors, specifically Bella wood, and. Some of them are, uh, there's odors and there's stains, so I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of them. Can you help? Yep. Uh, if you'll go over to a uh, PetSmart or PetsGo, one of those type of places, they have an enzyme product that you literally you dump it onto where the pet urination was. Yes. And you're going to see that it's going to turn yellow. It's going to be soaking up that urine out of the wood and it works on concrete floors as well and you just keep drying it out and adding more of the product until it's no longer pulling the yellow out and that'll get rid of the odor and the stain both okay it won't ruin my floors no more than they are now (laughs) okay Because you're not leaving it on there like overnight or anything. You put it on, and I think you wait for like about 10 minutes, and then you clean it up. And then you reapply and clean it up. Uh, So it's not like it's soaking in it for a long period of time. Ah, yes. Okay. Thanks so much, Jim. You bet. You take care, Jerry. You too. Have a good day. Bye. Had a a gentleman call in uh, a second ago, and... He was asking about installing gravel. And uh, so if you're going to put gravel down, the the big question is always, do you put something under it to keep the weeds and stuff from coming up? And it it really depends on how thick you're going to put it. If you're just doing it for like a walkway, absolutely. 
And the, the reason for that, you, you're typically only going to put three, four inches of gravel. But if you're doing a driveway or a road or something like that, you, you're going thick enough that a lot of times you don't really need to worry about putting a barrier down underneath. If you're going to put a barrier, use a fabric-type weed inhibitor barrier. Uh, because if you use plastic, the rocks themselves will actually puncture holes in it, uh, and you can still have weeds growing up through it. Uh, the other problem is moisture doesn't go through plastic, and if you get edges that are curled up and stuff, you can end up with little puddles of water holding on the plastic, uh, unless it got a hole punched in it, in which case now you're inviting weeds to grow. So if you use the weed inhibitor um, fabrics under it, it just works a lot better. Uh, now, if you're going to use, and that's if you're using loose gravel. If you're going to use, like, crushed limestone or something like that that you can pack, then you don't need to use a, uh, a root, a, a, any type of fabric or anything to inhibit the weeds from growing because you'll pack the stone and it'll be almost solid like concrete so you won't really have to worry about that just a reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast it helps people find us kim how can i help you today well of course it is i have a uh, i have a new carrier system uh my home was just built last year and uh I have return vents, large return vents, one in the hallway, one in the bedroom. And you stand below them, like in the wintertime, and you can feel a cold draft coming down through it. And they're great, they're, they're vents, but they have bolts on them, so you can't take them off, so there's no filter goes there. I'm just wondering, you know, is this really supposed to be a, a gaping air vent, you know, coming through there? Because I can feel all the cold air, and it's got to be keeping my uh, thermostat, you know, working, keeping my heater going. So this is the air, the, the return air going to the uh, AC unit up in the attic, right? Right, right. I have okay. one in the hallway and one in the bedroom, and, and it's cold if you stand beneath there because you can feel a cold draft coming through them because it's like a, uh, I don't know if it's just going straight into the attic or what, but no, it's designed it, it, to where you can't remove it. Yeah, well, it, it can be removed, but you're removing screws to do it. But uh, what it sounds like is, is your home uh, got foam insulation in it? I don't know if they used foam. I'm not sure. It's it's, it's uh, a new new home, whatever the new stuff they're doing with uh, yep. KB Homes. Yeah, yeah, I'm betting you probably have foam insulation, and what they've got is a fresh air return go right. that goes to the air conditioner. And yeah. that fresh air return uh, pulls into the same area that the air from your house is going into. That's the reason the filter mm -hmm. is upstairs, so uh, it, it takes care of both. And you're okay. getting downdrafts from the cold air, and that's a, a pushing in through the plenum box into your returns going to the unit there. So that's where you're getting the cold air. What okay. that typically indicates to me, there should be an electric damper on that that opens and okay. closes. And I'll bet you that has failed or it's not hooked up. And so it's staying open instead of closing. And the only time it should open is when the, eight, when the unit is turned on and sucking air and needing that damper open 
for the fresh air. And it sounds like yours is staying open, and that's the reason you're getting that cold air into the plenum box okay. that's dropping into the house. That makes sense. So I have to get them to come out and check that then. There's yep. nothing I can yeah. do about that, right? No, it's going to be okay. something that you need to get the an AC technician out to check it. And, and honestly, it, it, if that is all it is, it won't be that big a deal to get it fixed. Joe, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. I'm up here in the shop building hides right now, and I heard you talking about variable speed on new air conditioning systems. Can you yeah. elaborate and tell me, is that speeding up the condenser fan or the evaporator fan? Well, it, it the fan itself uh, ramps up and down so that you're not getting a full blast of air coming into the room. Uh, mm -hmm. And, yes, it it combines with the outside unit for the for the compressor and everything so that you're circulating the right amount of coolant and everything for what you're doing and so what it does if say you're home alone and it gets to the right temperature uh, it'll drop down to where well one it can drop all the way where it's off but a lot of times it'll stay running at say you know 30 percent and so you're just getting a little bit of air movement that holds the temperature constant. But then you get 15 people coming to the house, the, the heat rises, and the fan speed will automatically rise up and maintain yeah. temperature in the house. Yeah, because I was, you know, a few years ago I was looking at them, and what they, they weren't truly, you know, a, a true variable frequency drive. They they just had three speeds. They had a slow, medium, and high, and, that's, ah, and they were yes. coming off of compressor uh discharge head temperature and doing that so i just wondered if they finally made the jump to a true variable frequency drive yes I guess they have they have yeah they, they, and that's okay. been available now for at least i don't know at least five years anyways probably more like eight yeah this was more like 10 years i bought this house and i yeah you know that's what they were offering and, and i didn't like that but okay well, i was just curious i hadn't really been in the market but i'm getting ready to so yeah, that's Already? a good thing. Yep. All right, thank you a lot. Bye. You bet. This comes from Roy in Dallas, actually, and he says, My garage is poured without a brick ledge. It is a brick veneer, and the bricks go down to the soil. Constant termite problems. Can this be repaired without having to tear down the garage? Well, the termites aren't there because of the brick ledge. The termites are there because you probably are too far down into the ground. Uh, you know, typically a brick ledge is nothing more than a step down about an inch and three quarters uh, in the brick that, or in the uh, slab that the brick sit on. And if your brick is just sitting on the slab and it's all the way down into the ground, that tells me that your slab level is too low. And so the, the termites are in the soil where it's moist it's easy for them to just cross in get into the sill plate of the wall and you got a termite problem now what can be done to to correct the problem i'm gonna give you a couple options that probably nobody else has talked to you about but if this is a detached garage and this is why i like taking calls because i would ask you this question if this is a detached garage you could literally pick up the framework of the garage and put a uh, beam on top of the slab, which can be your brick ledge. So that raises that part of it. But 
what I would do is widen it out where it's more than just a brick ledge. It has a spot to set the frame back down on it as well, only make it higher up. I'd probably raise it about four inches, get it up out of the dirt, and uh, you know make it where it's uh, easier to take care of that way. Now, if you're getting water in the garage on a regular basis, then I, what I would do is cap the whole thing and pour that riser around the perimeter at the same time. That gets you up out of the water. That takes care of getting the framework up off the ground and gives you the brick ledge to, to make it all right. Now, to do this, you got to take all the brick off. Not that big a deal. But uh, it saves you from having to totally tear the garage down and rebuild it. Your second option, underpin the whole garage and raise the whole thing. And yes, that can be done as well. So uh, it really just depends on which direction you want to go. But a lot's going to depend on if you're getting water in the garage or not. So I hope that helps you out. If you got other questions on it, by all means, feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call. Lee, how are you today? Pretty good. I'm enjoying the uh, the frigid cold weather in Sharpstown. <laughs> <laughs> If there's no snow um, falling, are... it's not quite frigid yet, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually outside working. It's great. Um, now, we bought our house about eight years ago, and when we bought the house, the roof was not new. No one really knew how old it was. Uh, they, you know, No one knew when it was replaced, but it was in good shape. There was nothing wrong with it. Uh, eight years on, it's still in good shape. There's nothing wrong with it uh, other than, you know, I, I get some of the gravel in my gutters from time to time. Sure. But um, I'm looking at maybe going solar in the future. Uh, I, I think it's stupid to put panels on top of a failing roof, but it's not failing. But how soon will it, how do you know when a roof is getting old and it's getting close to time to be replaced versus, uh, you know, it's it's just old, but it's fine. Look at the edges of the shingles. If they're starting to curl at all uh, in the, or, or peel off a little bit, then it, it's, getting, it's aged. It's, it's getting to the point where, yeah, you're going to be replacing it before long. The granules I'm coming off, seeing... that's just a normal aging process. And if it starts getting real thin on the granules, again, you're getting near time to replace it. Well, I'm not seeing any peeling at all. You know, it's not curling. It's not peeling. Uh, they're still, the, the shingles are still fairly flexible. Um, you know, it, the only sign I have of anything wrong is that there are granules there, and I know it's at least nine years old because it wasn't new when we bought it. But sure. other than that, it seems totally fine. Should I just go ahead and stick solar cells on top of it? or, or Yeah, you, just be aware that I... down the road, whenever you do have to replace it, the solar panels end up having to come off. Uh, but mm -hmm. other than that, it, it uh, you know, if your roof is in good shape and it sounds like it is, there's no reason not to go ahead. Uh, if you want to find out for sure, uh, give the folks over at Guardian Roof Systems a call. Let them come out and mm -hmm. take a look at it. And they can probably give you a fairly decent idea of how old it is. Okay. And uh, you can I'll reach them at 281 four zero seven seven two eight zero and then uh, the secondary thing i would do when you're talking with the uh solar company that you're looking at ask them when i have to put a roof on how much will it be to take these things off and reinstall okay that way you got an idea 
Yeah. <laughs> Need to know how much money to kick into a pile before it happens. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you. I'll give Guardian a call. All right. You take care, Lee. We're going to head out to Willis, Texas. And Mike, welcome to KTRH. How can I help you? Yeah, I'm building a uh, garage. It's got a little, well, not a little apartment, but um, with it, it's 3,600 square feet. Uh, we're looking to, it's a metal building. We were looking uh-huh. to uh, do a closed cell insulation on the roof. And then um, what's the difference between better roll-up doors or the, you know, regular garage doors? And I was going to use a split system for an AC for um, <clears throat> the apartment. Basically what it is, I've got some exotic cars I need to put, um, you know, have AC in it. So, okay. And but, are you going to use the uh, closed cell on the walls as well? Um, yes, on the section that we were going to uh, put the AC portion of it. Okay. It's about 1,500 square feet. Okay. And uh, would, would closed cell be good? or? You know, if you're going to heat and cool it, closed cell is great. Uh, because if the sheet metal on the on the metal building ever develops any leaks, the, the closed cell doesn't absorb moisture. An open cell will, will absorb moisture like a sponge. Closed cell doesn't do that. So, uh, yeah, I, it, it's what I would recommend use. And then uh, you were questioning the difference between a standard garage door and a roll-up? Yeah, they're going to be, uh, one's going to be 12 foot tall by 14 foot wide. Okay. I have about four doors, but the, there's going to be a door that goes into the AC section that's got AC in it to bring the cars in. I've got a lift that picks them up, and it's going to be 14-foot high ceiling so I can get two cars in there at one time. Okay. The biggest difference that you would find is the roll-up won't be able to be insulated where the standard garage door, you can have an insulated door put in. So if you are going to heat and cool it, that door would help you out. Um, Now, that's just on the energy side. As far as the doors themselves, what you're going to find is if it's just a roll-up door, it needs about a two-foot by two-foot space above the garage door where it'll roll up, and that's all the space it takes. When you use a standard garage door, it comes up and out over into the garage space. And so if you've got any lifts or anything that you want to have near the door, that could be in the way. Yeah, my idea was to, I saw that there's some doors you can bring all the way up to the ceiling, have the track all up to the ceiling. Yes. Can't leave it over. But uh, on ceiling it, because we're, uh, the property's out in the woods, uh, 100 acres that I got. Uh Nobody's going to be living there, but does it seal? Which one seals the best from the outside, you know, for bugs and bees and things like that? Well, if you get an insulated door, uh, they actually put weather stripping and everything on those so that it does seal up better than the roll-up door. Okay. Because the roll-up door is kind of corrugated, and so yeah. all the way up, you've got the corrugation where everything can see inside. Okay, so when it closes, it's still you're still going to have a little gaps or something. Or... Yes, yeah. Where the the one the, the the garage door style, they can put the weather stripping on there and that seals it tighter. Oh, okay. 
Great. Okay. Okay. Well, that helps me out great. Mike, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you later. This came in from Jerry yesterday in uh, cleaning the kitchen faucet filter. I listened to your program on Saturday and heard the answer to a problem involving a kitchen faucet filter cleaning issue. We had experienced the same issue after the freeze, so I mentioned it to my wife and told her I actually learned something by listening to your program on the radio. I took the filter off, cleaned it up, reinstalled. It worked great. Thanks for your expert advice, Jim. And I think what he's talking about on the filter was actually the uh, aerator. Uh, you know, if if your faucets have slowed down after the freeze, it, it, a lot of debris gets broken loose when pipes freeze a little bit. And that comes through and it gets caught in those screens and it slows the water flow down. Now, it can also get caught in the faucets themselves, you know, in the, in the cartridge and the shutoff valves and stuff. But the first place to always clean is going to be that aerator, especially if it's both hot and cold water that have slowed down. Now, if it's just the hot water or the cold water side, you know, just one side has slowed down, well, then that tells me that the debris has clogged up either the shutoff valve under the sink or in the sink faucet itself. But when it's both, it's almost always the aerator, and that just unscrews off the end where the water comes out. You clean it up, put it back in, and the water starts flowing again. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.